Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. Whitney is one of my very best birding friends. Some birding friends are kind of weird because, as she mentions, we've only hung out a few times and we live on opposite sides of the U.S. But it's easy to make fast friends through shared experiences like at a birding festival. It's almost as if my birding friends know the secret side of me since we all share the same passion and can all come together periodically to enjoy in that passion. So red knots. They are a medium-sized chunky shorebird, um, which has pretty bland coloration in their winter plumage, but gorgeous in the spring with a rich cinnamon breast and mottled brown back. They nest in the far north in places like Canada, Europe, and Russia above the Arctic Circle, and they winter along shorelines um, around the world south to Australia and South America. They can be in densely packed flocks on the sand, and they have the longest migration of any bird and travel more than 9,000 miles in a year. Their diet changes by season. Um, in the breeding season, they prefer arthropods, spiders, and larvae, and in other times of the year, they prefer hard-shelled mollusks. And they feed in mudflats in the winter and during migration, and they're tactile probers um, feeding for prey in the mud. And Delaware Bay is a place you might have heard of. It's a vital stopover point in their long migration, which they rely on stopping at the same sites year after year. And on their long migration, several thousand mile migration from south to north and reverse in the autumn, they um, stop over at these sites and the staging areas are broken into various segments, each about 1,500 miles from stop to stop, which is just amazing that they're able to travel that amount of distance. So Delaware Bay, as I mentioned, is the most vital of these stops with the abundance of horseshoe crab eggs that fuel them to continue on in their migration. The relationship is evolutionarily intertwined as their arrival coincides with the spawning of the crabs, and researchers believe that the abundance of eggs drive movement and distribution of red knots. And additionally, with as with many bird species, during migration they undergo various physiological changes. 
And with red knots, that includes shrinking their gizzard, which normally allows them to eat hard things like crabs and mollusks. So it's a welcome thing for them to eat soft crab eggs. In breeding, they're territorial and seasonally monogamous. They nest on the ground near water in just a shallow scrape lined with leaves and moss where they will lay three or four eggs. And the species was much more numerous in the U.S. and North America. However, a large number were shot in the late 1800s, and then the population had a steep decline in the 1960s. And one of the biggest threats to the species is harvesting of horseshoe crabs, which, as I mentioned, they rely on their eggs for a food source. So Whitney uh, requested that I make a cocktail called, well, she called it Hair of the Red Knot, but I'm calling it Feather of the Red Knot um, in honor of her going and looking at red knots after having a couple too many drinks. Um, So here is your Feather of the Red Knot. It's three shots of rum chata, one shot of fireball whiskey, three tablespoons of boba balls. If you're unfamiliar with that, boba is a growing trend throughout the the. U.S. at least, also called bubble teas, and it's um, these large tapioca balls that are kind of uh, kind of gelatinous. I I had to find a kit at a Fred Meyer's or a Kroger store. It was like a kit to make your own boba tea, um, so I bought that and I used those boba balls, and it was already mixed into something that was called brown sugar. So it was actually very delicious and on point for this drink. But um, I have very little knowledge of boba at all, so. That was my experience with it. And ice. (laughs) So your directions, um, fill your shaker with ice, whiskey, and rum chata. Shake, shake, shake. And then pour that into a glass. And then you'll pour in the boba balls into that drink. And um, I stirred it up a little bit. And then you drink it using a boba straw. So I think of red knots as these cinnamony little shorebirds, hence the fireball whiskey. The rum chata is an international representation of their migratory feats with Mexican spice, the Caribbean rum, and then U.S. dairy cream. And then the boba represents the horseshoe crab eggs that they rely on to finish their migratory route. So please enjoy a glass of this delicious drink with me and enjoy this conversation with Whitney. Well, I'm so excited to welcome my good friend, Whitney, to the podcast. Whitney, would you please tell everyone who you are? I am so excited to be here. Um, But first, I do want to apologize for my voice. I've been doing bird festivals um, since, like, the beginning of May. And I talk so much leading tours and stuff that I've lost my voice, which is why today is such a good day to do a podcast. I was like, oh, absolutely. Um, But (laughs) anyway... My name is Whitney Lon Bronco, and yes, I'm a good friend of Hannah's, and I am the nature sales manager for Leica Sport Optics, which means anything in the United States and Canada having to do with birds and nature, um, I'm the girl for that when it comes to Leica. Well, tell us more about you. Where are you from? You know, where have you lived? Oh, gosh. So I'm a bit of a vagabond. Um, I'm originally from Texas, which... Did we meet in Texas, Hannah, or did we meet in Arizona? I think we met in Arizona. Well, we had met in Texas because you were at the King Ranch, and I led tours there. I remember y'all on that tour now. See, exactly. I knew that. So, yeah, so I'm originally from Texas, and I got my start guiding down in the Rio Grande Valley on King Ranch, and I was there for uh, several years. And then on a whim, I actually decided I needed to change the scenery and move to Seattle. 
got stuck in Seattle because of COVID. Um, <laughs> that was that was fun. Uh, but then in March, I actually picked up and moved to Cape May, New Jersey, which is where I am now. <laughs> yes. So yeah, you've been all over. Yeah, I mean, you know, just I I live very simply. Like I can pack my entire car up. It's six bins. I'm very proud of this. Six bins and then my rooftop thing, and drive across the United States whenever it fancy strikes me. So that's what I did in March. It was so much fun. But I am sad because now I'm farther away from you. But but it's kind of a running joke that even though I was in Seattle and Hannah and Eric, of course, lived down in Oregon. We never saw each other because we're so busy that when we saw. It was at a festival somewhere across the country. It was never the couple hours drive because we're never around on the same weekend. So, so alas. So I'm actually going to come see you at some point, I imagine, at Cape May because we have to go to the fall festival. So I'll maybe that'll work out. I'll see you at your home. Right, exactly. It's like, nope, couldn't see each other. We were three hours away from each other. But now across the country, no big deal. I'll see you in October. Yeah. <laughs> So how long have you been birding? How'd you get started birding? So I was always into nature, like, you know, one of those kids who was always outside. I used to, um, I always say my spark bird is a turkey vulture because I used to lay very still in the field in front of my parents' house because I wanted the vultures to come down and land on me. And I'd ask my mom for like rotten meat or if I could pick up roadkill. And she was always like, why is my child so weird? And she wouldn't let me have any of those things. Um, but anyway, when I was in college, I uh, studied zoology. And this is, I don't know if I've told you this story. It's so embarrassing, but it's also really funny. There was a guy in my ornithology class who was a big birder. And he was all like, oh, I'm going birding. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love birding. Birding is my favorite thing to do. Maybe I could go with you. And of course, I had to like beg, borrow, and steal some binoculars from somebody and like, quickly go through the book to be like, what the heck is birding and what are we going to see? And all this business, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so, so that's kind of what happened. And like, it turned out that like nothing even happened with that guy. Like it was just, it was nothing, but I was hooked on birding after that. So that kind of, <laughs> we had him to thank <laughs> or for the person, you know, today. So <laughs> I know that's it's so embarrassing. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> you got started birding because of a crush. That, that totally yeah. makes sense. I had a crush on this birding guy and he created a monster and he has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I know you guide at festivals a lot and you go on different trips and things, but what does a day of birding look like for you? Well, it, it kind of depends. Yeah. If I'm home, cause like if I'm on a festival, of course I'm on the bus at 5am being like, Oh, I Whitney, everybody. Um, but yeah, here in Cape May, like it's been, you know, the spring watch, you know, they do a spring watch for the sea watch. They call it spring watch, but it's sea watching, um, here. And so I like to get up and go there. Um, not every morning, but a couple times a week, I'll go and hang out on the uh, Royal Avenue platform and, you know, help out when I can. I actually came back from biggest week and I was like, oh, I have two days to sleep before the Cape May Spring Festival starts. I'm so excited. And then the counters got sick. Both of them did. And they're like, could you help cover? And I was like, yeah, sure. Cause you know, it starts at dawn, which is like 5am. And I was like, yeah, sure. I don't need to sleep. This is great. But <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I try to get out every day, whether it's to go down to spring watch, just go take a walk around the beach and look for shorebirds. You know, there's a wildlife management area just down the street from my house. Like I live in such a great day for birding and a great place for birding. And I just love being outside. So just, yeah, going out by myself and then, you know, 
if I was in Cape May, so folks are around, we'll hang out together. Just that sort of thing. You know, you can always burn. I'm always, I work from home, so I have my laptop set up where I can look out the window at my theaters, <laughs> you know, so I um, think I'm always burning, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all kind of filter it in into our lives somehow. Right. It's like you don't even realize you're doing it, like on the way to the grocery store, and you're like, oh. <laughs> just... I, always yeah. not- I always notice Eric in the car, like when we're driving along, you know, I'll see his eyes look, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, scrub Jay. Right. Like you just, and it's, it would just be really bad in Texas, driving on the highways with the hawks. Like it's so, like, gosh, I almost died so many times. I'm always like, wait, run, run. like, yeah, <laughs> it's my but here it's like yeah you, even when you're driving you're just like oh that was european starling that just ran in front of my car i mean yeah it's so weird how you can't stop <laughs> so what do you think has influenced influenced your birding the most what is in so um it's always a hard question um because i just feel like there's been so many like people and stuff that have influenced me and like but i would definitely say like working on king ranch like that's when i found out that like I was a guide because I didn't think I was one. I had no idea. And then so whenever they were like, no, we think you could be a guide and they hired me. And then that really made me up my game because I always tell people you want to be a good bird or guide (laughs) because nothing will make you learn faster than panic. Um, (laughs) So um, I definitely think that that had a lot like a lot of influence on me. It's just, yeah, like because they're the ones who taught me how to guide and really like showed me, got me like took me to the next level of birding. And yeah, it gave me the confidence to be where I am today. Well, that's really cool. So in Cape May, uh, what's it like to be a female birder there? I mean, it's awesome. The community here is just so wonderful. Like they they were just so welcoming, like so excited the second I got to town and like, you know, I was like, well, what do I do? And so I, I took my scope and I went up to spring watch and I was like, I'll go meet people up there. That's where the birders will be. And they all kind of like looked at each other in confusion as this woman who's not, you know, 70 is walking up to the platform with this body scope. But I mean, they instantly, like they say they adopted me and it's true. They instantly adopted me and instantly like made me feel included. And, you know, there's not a lot of women birders young. I mean, actually there is, there's a decent amount of women birders here, a couple of young ones. So it's really awesome. Like, but we are definitely just feel, I definitely feel a part of like the group and everything here. And it's been really great. That's awesome. And what advice would you have for other women birders? Um, I would say, you know, don't, get discouraged and don't give up like for every rotten apple I've met who are not supportive of women birders especially being in more professional roles I've met 10 amazing people who will help support you and so I know those experiences happen and they suck but there's plenty of people of any and all genders who will um defend you and just know that you have a right to be there you have a right to be standing there with the boys and you are just as good as they are and don't be scared and don't let them intimidate you. Most of them are going to be supportive anyway. And if they're shitty to you, Whitney will go after them. <laughs> if you have a shitty situation, then you just got to call and I will call them back. Except my be much meaner at that time because I will actually have one. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so what can we do as more experienced birders to be supportive and foster other beginner birders? I love beginner birders. Whenever I do tours, I'm always like, ooh, ooh, a beginner birders tour. Like I run to volunteer for those because I love 
how a beginner is enthusiastic about everything. You know, it's not like you've got somebody who's been doing it for like 20 years. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm like a beginner. It's like, you know, they're excited to see a cardinal through their binoculars for the first time. And I always tell beginners, like, please, please, please say if you're not seeing the bird, like, this is a safe place. Like, don't be scared. Like, I've met so many people. I mean, it happened on a bird tour this weekend with Kate May. This uh, woman asked me what festival she should go to. And she was like, I'm always so nervous at festivals. I don't want to hold people back. And I was like, actually, bird festivals, most of the people who are on tours are beginners. Like, that's what they're for. And so I think the best thing to do is just let beginners know that it's okay to be there. It's okay to ask questions. And it's okay to call something wrong because that's how you're going to learn. And I'm a guide. I've been doing this a long time. I call things wrong sometimes because, you know, we get kind of lazy. We're kind of jaded. We'll be like, oh, it's a this. You haven't really looked. And then you're like, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, and that's fine. It's okay. Um, and so, yeah, just to stick with it. And also be aware that in my opinion, beginners find rare things more often than advanced birders do because they're looking again we get lazy and we will sit there and just kind of like glance at something and be like okay and like as why a beginner is just sitting there and going over every detail with the book and so if you think you have a rare bird you very well might have a rare bird and so don't be afraid to mention it now get ready people we're going to demand proof but don't be afraid to like take a picture and put it on the facebook groups to be like hey what is this because you know one thing about birders is we sure love talking about birds. And so when we find somebody who will listen, like <laughs> there's no holding us back. That's really good advice. I like to hear that you like working with beginner birders too. I do too. And I like helping build that foundation, you know, of like how to spot things and how to like ID things a little bit easier. But sometimes, you know, I, I was talking to somebody who hosts a festival the other day and she's like, I'm glad you like beginner birders. I hate beginner birders. <laughs> they're my favorite like seriously every time there's a beginner walk I'm like me 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 I'll take that one I mean it's just yeah it's so much fun I mean and even like as an optics rep the amount of people who don't know how to use binoculars they don't know how to set them don't know what they're supposed to do I mean that happened this weekend I was hanging out with binoculars and I was like so just so you know the fine focus or, or the diopters in the center and this girl looked at me and she's like what does that mean and I was like okay you've never set the binoculars you're currently using and it's like yeah there's just so like things that we forget that they don't know and so yeah i mean i, I just, just like being a teacher like you know you want to give them a good experience so they're birding and so yeah i like hannah we should have a beginning birders tour we got to figure this out when we of course have all that amazing spare time just laying around with nothing to do totally, <laughs> totally. let's start working on that yeah, absolutely. I'm free in December. What about you? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> December 2020. All right. <laughs> so um, you've touched a lot of different components of the birding community throughout your birding career. Um, do you feel that you found your place in the birding community? Um, I think so. You know, I definitely was of course intimidated at the beginning, but like I said, there's been so many people who were just so welcoming to me. And so, yeah, now that I've kind of, you know, started working for Leica and moved around a lot and met more people, like, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm part of like the festival circuit and like that community. And like I said, the Cape May community has just been so awesome. And you know, and there's people like you, it's like, yeah, like we met cause you were on King Ranch one day. I remember that trip actually, I absolutely remember it. And then you hung out at like festivals and it's like, yeah. And so no matter where you go, there's people that you've made these connections with through festivals or through tours. And it's just, just so awesome. Even though sometimes random people 
come up and hug me because I took them on a tour and I don't remember them. And I feel so bad when that happens. I'm always always like, Wendy. And I'm like, hi, Um, but it's okay. If you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I think I did that to her. No, that's fine. I actually do appreciate it, but it's just, I feel bad that I'm like, oh, who are you? Because, you know, I lead a lot of people, meet a lot of people. And so sometimes it takes a minute. (laughs) Yeah, that happened in the biggest week. Apparently these women came I led them in San Diego and I told them about Biggest Week because they asked about like warblers and because, you know, we don't get a big concentration of those in California. Um, and so I told them all about it and they uh, they came because of me and they were on my Woodcock walk and they were all like so excited to see me. And I was just like, what is happening? Um, <laughs> but then when they explained, I was like, I remember, yeah, we saw a Townsend's warbler. And I was like, oh, if you like that bird, then you should go to Biggest Week in Ohio and you're going to see all these warblers. And they did. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad you you were able to meet up with him again. Yeah, it was just, I was just like, whoa, hi, who are you? <laughs> yeah, we get people that come up to us, out, you know, that are listeners of the podcast, and they'll be like, oh, it was so funny when you said whatever. And I was like, I don't remember saying that at all. Like, sure, yeah, totally. I Yeah, I probably should say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, you know, again, tours run it together in their heads. So they'll be like, yeah, do you remember when we did this? And I'm like, uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I was there. I was awake. I saw that. <laughs> so what has been your most memorable bird or birding experience? Oh, that was hard too, because I mean, you know, always, you know, doing a chase with like friends, like that's always just so fun when it's like, okay, I know we have to be at work tomorrow, but let's see how much we can push this and let's get up at 5am and that green breasted mango is not going to stick around very long. Um, you know, like, especially when I was living in uh, Texas, that was so fun to do. And also like, you know, anytime you wear like, like Columbia where it's like, you know, every moment it's just like, this is real life. Um, but definitely like, I think my favorite birdie moments are like the unexpected ones. Like when you get like an unexpected lifer or have like, an, like you're just standing there and like suddenly this bird pops up and you're like, wait, I wasn't even looking for you. Or like when I was driving, I, so I would think one of my favorite experiences is when I was driving from Seattle to uh, Cape May, uh, Kelly Ball, you know, uh, formerly worked with Birdwatchers Digest and now does some work with Zeiss and other stuff. She was my road trip companion and we wanted to get a uh, great rosy finches. And so I found this hotspot and I was like, okay, it's 30 minutes up a mountain we have time for this and we'll just find the benches, get in the car and we'll go. Well, we get up there and the, the banders were there and we're like, Oh no way. And so we kind of just like get out of the car and they're like, hi. And we're like, Oh, we just came to see. And they're like, Oh, do you want to hold them? Do you want to help band? Do you want to release them? And we were just like, "Ah!" (laughs) so like, just, yeah, those unexpected moments that you don't plan for and just something amazing happens. Like to me, that's really gets your heart beating. That's awesome. So what changes would you like to see in the birding community? You know, I think that the birding community is definitely going the right way with how we're being like more inclusive and more supportive of everybody. And, you know, especially the younger generation, like I was just that biggest week again, guiding with all those kids who are like in their twenties. And I was just like, wow, y'all are like, yes, kind of they're kids. We are old. We have to accept it. Stop shaking your head. Yes, we are old people. (laughs) Sorry. We're in our thirties, everybody, but we feel a hundred. But yeah, it's definitely like just seeing like how accepting they are and everything. I think that that's just really great. And I think that if we can keep going that way and make birding a safe place for everybody, that that's really going to be awesome. Well, that's so cool. But don't call me old again. I don't appreciate it. I didn't call you old. I said older. (laughs) Okay. Look, if I news to you (laughs) we are not 
22 and staying in the cabin anymore because I'm an old lady who has to go to bed. So I was like, absolutely fine. I'm not partying with you children. A bonfire, you have to be kidding. Um, we have tours at 5 a.m. It's true. Remember those days you just go without sleep? I remember that, but it doesn't happen anymore. That was Tucson last year. I think Eric and I, one night we went to sleep at two o'clock in the morning and we had to get up at five for something. Yeah, that was my fault, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry. You see, but again, we can do that like one day, one day and we're like, okay, but like doing it for like 12 days, like, no, I would be like in the hospital, I'd be like, they're carting there, like here lies Whitney, she's trying to be 22 again. I mean, <laughs> that's just all there is to it. Okay. So my last question for you, Whitney, is uh, what has been the most ma- valuable thing that you've learned from birding? Um, I think the most valuable thing, well, I'm going to cheat and say two things. One thing, of course, is that everybody says is that birding really teaches you to stop and and appreciate nature and be connected with nature and conservation and, you know, the trends and the things we need to do to help. But my absolute favorite thing about birding is that anybody can do it. It's not like being a musician where it's like you're born with this talent to sing or this talent to paint or this talent to whatever. Anybody who is willing to get out there and try and practice can become an amazing birder or as amazing a birder as you want to be. And that is just the thing that I love about the most is it just really shows you that if you put your mind to something, you can do it and you can get quite awesome at it. And, you know, people always ask, like yesterday we were on a plagic and people are like, how do you learn how to point out these little, you know, dark shapes of birds? Cause you know how it is. It's not like, Oh, it's on the boat, like dancing around, like, Oh, I'm a No, it's like, when you see that thing way out on the horizon, you just have to trust me. But I told him, I was like, it's just practice. I was like, the more you do it, the more you figure it out. And so that's just one thing I love about birding. Anybody can do it. Well, that's a good message. So if folks want to find out more about you and, you know, what festival you're going to be at next, how would they do that? So you can follow my uh, personal social media, Whitney Lonfranco. I'm the only one in, well, I like to say I'm the only one in the world, but I'm the only one on social media, which I think um but it's l-a-n-f-r-a-n-c-o or please follow our Leica page too uh we're Leica nature usa on instagram or Leica birding and nature uh, usa on facebook and yeah so definitely that will keep you updated on the festivals i'm going to be at please come up and say hi to me yeah sure you can hug me too that's fine and you know if you want to freak me out and be like oh we know each other and we actually don't like that's fine that would make it pretty funny if you're like actually i just heard you on the podcast we haven't met and i'll be like oh, okay like yeah but seriously i think it's fun but yeah definitely come find me come see me at festivals and i would love to go birding with all of you anytime cool thank you so much whitney absolutely thank you hannah and i guess i'll see you eventually again one day okay. <laughs> So thank you so much, Whitney, for joining me for this episode. Um, It has been so fun getting to know you, and I really appreciate you coming on my show so I could learn more about you. And thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on the socials, you can do so by following me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirdersGmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this chat, and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.